Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have Jim Kimo West, who is the longtime guitarist in Weird Al Yankovic's band, as well as a solo performer who won a Grammy for his CD, More Guitar Stories, in 2021. Jim will be at the Zyterian in New Bedford with Weird Al on April 29th at 8 p.m. Hey, John, how are you? All right, how are you? I'm glad to connect. Yeah, everything's good. It's pouring rain here, but otherwise everything's awesome. It's raining in L.A.? Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but it is today. Wow. So I, I you probably don't remember, we met uh, on Al's last tour, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, at the at the uh, Providence Performing Arts Center backstage after the show. That's how right. I that's how I connected with you initially, and I've right. been, been following your Facebook page and your emails since. Yeah. I do hear your music on the radio. My girlfriend listens to the Spawn Network, and uh, we see oh, your name. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on there, yep. Yeah, we see your name pop up often on there. And that's, yeah, that's that's good. So you have a life outside of Weird Al, which is a good thing. Yeah, you know, uh, I've been playing Hawaiian slap keys uh, for almost as long as I've been playing with Al. Um, well, maybe not. I, I, I went to Hawaii, you know, a number of years after I met Al, not too long after I met Al. And I heard the sound of slap key back there in, in Hawaii. And I used to listen to it uh, just because I liked to love the sound of it. And then eventually, you know, it just sort of crept into my playing style. Probably in the early 90s, I think, just when I started playing slap key and started playing playing around with it and writing my own tunes. It's been um, an interesting journey. It's just something that I've always done just for the love of it, but it's now it's become a bit of a career. So that's what they they call it, kihoalu? Yes, kihoalu essentially um, means loosen the key. The Hawaiians don't really have a word for key, so they just sort of uh, use ki. Uh, ho'alu means to loosen. So loosening the key, it basically means just lowering the tension on some of the strings to create some lower notes, like bass notes, and you make sort of make a chord out of it instead of the standard tuning, which doesn't really sound like a chord. Um, and it gives you a lot more... Uh, flexibility when you've got an open tuning like that because you can sort of keep a bass thing going and then you can play some melodies on top you can kind of have like a whole little orchestra going on while you are uh while you're playing you know you can bass notes and melody and chords and everything all at the same time what what uh keys uh what chords do you usually tune the guitar in that well uh you know i i use a lot of different tunings um, um and some of my records you'll see will feature one more than the other. I mean, the most common tuning in slack key is what they call tarot patch, which is open G tuning. It's very simple. You lower the two E strings, uh, the outside E strings down to D, and you lower the A string down to G, and that gives you a G chord. In fact, a lot of people use that. A lot of country blues people have used it. Uh, Keith Richards uses it, actually. Oh, that's um, how he plays those, like, one-finger chords? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can. You can you can play a chord across the bar with one finger, but uh, it's a lot more than that. I mean, there's a lot of interesting interesting things you can do with an open tuning but um that's the most common tuning carol patch and um you know i know i have a pretty good repertoire of songs and, and riffs and stuff in that tuning but i like to explore different tunings i use the uh, i'll come up with a different tuning and then that will inspire a song or two or three some four or four you know 
sometimes that you when you when you find a new tuning you find all these different interesting patterns and possibilities uh, that you could never do in, in in any other tuning so each tuning has its own unique kind of uh, sound and set of set of possibilities so uh, for me that inspires a lot of uh, creativity it's uh, it's inspiring when you find a new tuning and, uh, like i say some of my records you'll see one tuning is the dominant tuning and it's usually because i discovered that tuning and i was inspired to write four or five tunes in that tuning and that became the album <laughs> it was the trip to hawaii that for it was 85 you first went to hawaii and you discovered this kind of playing right yeah yeah i went i went uh, just by chance to this little town called hana it's it's on the east side of maui and uh, you know flew into the main airport and then took a small plane out there and it's a very small town you know with one gas station a couple little stores no stoplights uh, a lot of cows and horses <laughs> and chickens and you know it's out in the country uh but you know when i the family i was staying with had a lot of records um hawaiian music records and uh a lot of them were this uh hawaiian slack key you people artists like gabby pike Nui and sunny chillingworth and people like that and when you know when i heard those that music i thought you know this this music sounds so much like the place the way the place feels and looks you know it just felt like it was coming out of the earth you know it just felt so organic and, and i also you know i i had played with open tunings before it wasn't my first time exploring open tunings so you know hearing that music and you know i immediately sort of got that figured out okay these are you know they're in, playing in these open tunings different open tunings and i i you know i understood how it worked but like i said for for a number of years i never tried to play it i just like to listen to it and then uh, a number of years later five or six years later i started writing my own slack key tunes <laughs> the string how loose i mean i've never I'm, I'm a missionary guitar player i just like pretty much just um go with the uh the standard tuning i'm not really big sure. on changing up the tuning that much i i know that when you drop the tunings like um that the strings get they do get loose but they get buzzy do you do you compensate for that in any way um you know i i don't lower them that much you know i mean i don't have that problem uh now, if I, you know, I also, I don't play really hard, you know, you're, you're it's a, a fingerstyle type of playing, so you're not like hitting the strings and strumming and playing really hard, you're playing kind of lightly so I, I use a light gauge set of strings, and on my low strings you know, um, the, low, the low string would be down to D full step down, and in some tunings it goes down to a C, but um, the way my, my guitar is set up with pretty low action, but I, um, I don't have any problem with it buzzing, you know I try and, um, you know, obviously if you go too It'll it'll be a problem, but but I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, you know, everything seems to work. I do use a little bit higher heavier gauge on the top because um, sometimes those go down you know well the top string will go down to d often but uh but you know generally i don't really have any problem i mean if the guitar is set up right uh, but you know you can use a heavier set you can use medium gauge and um you know you, you definitely you won't you won't have any problem like I, but like i say you have to you know it's a finger style playing so you're not really striking the strings really hard so it keeps it uh keeps it in control so they this is the style they call nahan naha nahi nahi i can't say it nah yeah, well, nahe nahe. It's nahe, a, it's nahe. A yeah, nahe nahe is a, is a word that uh, means gentle. Right. And oftentimes it can refer to a person's 
you know, personality or, or a voice, um, but it also applies to a sound of music too, just a gentle sound, you know, as opposed to something that's, you know, in your face. Uh, it's something that's gentle and more kind of inviting, like it invites you in as opposed to assaults you. <laughs> now, what is the difference between, I mean, I know that your style is a little bit of your own style mixed in with the slack key. Now, what, what approach have you added to the style to make it your own? Well, you know, it's... Uh, uh, you know, my my style is definitely a more contemporary style of slack key, and I've added a lot of, uh, you know, when I write my tunes, I often will add maybe some tonality, some chords that you might not normally hear in the traditional slack key. I'm a little more adventurous in that, in that respect. I, I try to keep the spirit of, of slack key in what I do, and, and I, you know, use a lot of the slack key conventions, but I do, I do use different, uh, you know, I kind of expand it harmonically a little bit, and then and I also have a number of techniques that I've sort of come up with that are not traditional in slack key, but are based in the same, they come from the same place, really. I mean, I use, a, um, in slack key, we we like to use the open strings a lot. The open strings are more resonant. They ring more, you know. So I have a lot of riffs and patterns that I use where I'm incorporating open strings and a lot of legato effects, um, or campanella, as they say in classical music, where you have strings ringing, you know, almost in a harp-like fashion, you know. And that's something that I've, of, that I've sort of brought to the to the style. Like sympathetic strings yeah not really sympathetic strings you're using the regular strings of the guitar but the, but you know you could do a major scale run for example you know on on two strings or, or a few strings um nor in the normal fashion but you could also you can also do that same run by incorporating all the open strings too whenever they fall into the pattern you whenever there's a string that can be played open you use the open string and then you then the notes kind of ring together and it's like a harp type of sound okay so that's that's sort of a technique that I've kind of brought to the to the style. That's sort of a, one of my sort of signature things, I guess you'd say. So you go to Hawaii uh, and spend quite a deal of time there every year. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a house there? Or you just go just rent a place and. Uh, I used to have a, a, a house there. Um, I don't right now, um, but I, I go and stay. Uh, I either you know um, rent a place or I stay with uh, friends' places and things like that. I have a lot of friends in Hawaii. Sometimes I'll stay at one of their places. Um, and if I'm playing a show, oftentimes, like if I'm playing the Slack Key show in Napili, I'll stay there at the resort. But yeah, I usually go two or three times a year uh, to play, play shows, and then sometimes I just go just to chill. You just came off of a tour, didn't you? Um, yes, yeah, so I was on the International Guitar Night Tour again. I did it in uh, 2020 as well, and, and uh, it was a two-month tour, and um, really super fun. It's always, it's uh, International Guitar Night every year. It features four guitarists from different parts of the world, so the lineup is different every year. Um, and, uh, you know, I had never, just like the previous tour, I had never met any of the folks I'm playing with, so I flew in, to, uh, flew in and met them, and uh, we rehearsed that day, and then the next day we rehearsed again and played a show that night. <laughs> I just just met them the day before but uh it's it's really fun i mean they're great all great players from different kinds of um from different countries and different styles you know uh lulo reinhardt is uh, the grand nephew of django reinhardt he uh -huh. plays uh, kind of a mixture of gypsy jazz flamenco indian music north african uh extremely talented player that two lay she was from viet she's from vietnam it's a amazing concert classical guitarist and then we had lucas tricanioli from italy who's a huge youtube star he's probably got 100 million views on youtube he wow. he has he has a, a technique where he plays all the drums and percussion and bass and everything 
multiple parts on on the same guitar and in some cases on two guitars and in other cases he has a, a guitar with three necks that has bass on it and uh if you've never seen his videos you look them up on youtube it's pretty astounding so we basically uh would do an opening set where we would each play our own little segment and then we would do a quartet at the end with all four of us playing and then we would uh do the next set we would all do duets with each other you know so they're different combinations and uh and then we do some quartets at the end as well uh a really super fun show you know standing ovations every night nice performing art centers and um really really good time we all got got along well and had a lot of fun yeah it seems like you had a lot of dates where did you where did this tour take you um well it started in alaska i couldn't actually do that the first week was in alaska and this time i couldn't do the first week because i was committed to a festival here but um i came in and we played washington state and um, oregon and then we uh, went to the east coast played uh, a few places over there uh, like wolf trap and uh, several gigs on the east coast then we came back to the mountains to denver we played colorado utah montana new mexico sort of in the Rocky Mountain areas and then eventually back to California where we uh, finished up. But I think there was uh, 30, 30 odd shows altogether. There were a few that got canceled in Eastern Canada because of uh, COVID local regulations. Um, you know, the situation got bad enough to where they had to cancel the shows there. So we did miss, I think four shows got but uh, otherwise, it was a very successful tour. Now, you were originally born in Canada. Are you still a Canadian citizen or are you a U.S. citizen now? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still Canadian, um, although I'm, I'm going to probably uh, um, change that to a dual citizenship just because it's uh, more advantageous. But uh, but I still have relatives in Canada. Um, I, I moved from – I was born in Toronto, but my family moved uh, to Florida when I was quite young. So um, I've been in the States since I was a kid. But, yeah, it's uh, – Canada has a lot going for it. I I have a lot of relatives there and uh, we did actually on this tour we did play in Canada we played in British Columbia I forgot to mention that we were up in Britain four dates in, in uh, Victoria, Vancouver, Nanaimo, somewhere else. But we played several shows in British Columbia as well. So what was the, the impetus for you to get involved in playing guitar when you were young? What was your inspiration? Well, um, my older brother played a little guitar just, you know, just for fun, folk songs. He was, you know, 10 years older than me. He's 10 years older than me. So he, you know, he was into the folk music and he had a guitar and he would kind of play it every so often and then he kind of put it down and it was in the closet and I think when I was about 12 I saw that thing in the closet and I said hmm and it had like three strings on it and I started <laughs> noodling around on it and, and then he saw that I was interested in it so he went out and got a set of strings and a book and a capo and some picks or whatever you know but he got hooked me up and i got me going and, and that was kind of the end of it for me it was you know I, every day after school i'd just be like locked in my room playing guitar <laughs> and uh that was acoustic guitar of course and then um a few couple of years later it was i got you know got, my parents got me an electric guitar and um, i started jamming with some friends and, and by the time i was 16 i was i played you know my first professional gig i actually got you know, paid back in those days, I think it was $40, which was like quite a lot of money back yeah, in those days was... for a gig, you know? Yeah, really. So, um... And, um, you know, and, and I was kind of hooked on it, even though I was, you know, started going to college at an early age, I was in sort of studying, I was studying visual arts and, and which was fun, but music seemed to, uh, a lot of the friends I was playing with were, were in, the, in, in that college and, as well, but in the music department and tended to spend more time in the music department than <laughs> the art area. What kind but of, um... I, uh, 
art were you into? Well, you know, I was I was um, I was mostly a you know a, a painter and drawing you know pen and ink and and just kind of you know I had to sort of I kind of had my own style back then. I I did a lot of kind of unusual conceptual stuff, but I enjoyed doing it and I um, you know tried a lot my hand at a lot of different things. But uh, but music just kind of took over. It was just like you know this this music thing is is not only is it fun, but they're they're paying me to do it and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I wasn't getting paid to do any artwork, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the same, because I went to college. I have a a master's in art, and um, kind of took the same thing and wound up doing music more than art. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, You know, uh, it's a a super fun thing, but I, you know, I I sort of looked at it as a career. It's like, well, I don't know. What would I do as a a career? You can't count on being a famous artist. (laughs) 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 And, you know, the commercial side of it didn't really interest me. And uh, so, you know, by the time I was 17, I believe, or 18, I decided that music was it, and I just never kind of looked back. I was, I just said, just said okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I was lucky to sort of have that, uh, have that figured out at an early age. Yeah, that is good, <laughs> and, it, and it paid off. You've, you've, you won a Grammy for your last album, The More mm-hmm. Guitar Stories, and you've. You've won Hawaiian Music Awards, and you've gotten um, these L.A. Treasures Awards for the perpetuation of uh, slack key guitar. Right, right, yeah, yeah. They're like um, grants, you know. Uh, they every so every year they find somebody who's doing some kind of cultural preservation type of uh, stuff. And um, but um, yeah, I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of uh, great successes. But like I said in the beginning, it was something I started doing just for the love of it. You know, I when I started recording, I started writing my own slack key tunes. I would record them so that I wouldn't forget them basically you know and then at some point somebody said you well, you got all these you got 12 songs why don't you make a CD and I had not even considered it you know because it wasn't something I was going to do for money I was just doing it for fun and and I was uh, you know like I said I hadn't considered it and then somebody else said well I'll, I'll do the the artwork for the you know cover and, and you know all of a sudden I had a, my first CD <laughs> Who bestowed chemo upon you? I'm sorry, say that again? Hold on, I have a cat that's on my lap that's insisting <laughs> on getting in the way. Um, oh, you were asking about the, the name chemo? Chemo, yes. Who bestowed that upon you? Well, um, it was I was uh, in in, um, in Los Angeles uh, when I started getting into Hawaiian music. I, I, had a, I was going to a Hawaiian language class, and the, the kumu, the teacher, um, he would have jam sessions afterwards, which is really the main reason I was going to the class, was to play music, <laughs> you know? And I, you know, you know, because you you'll play a song, he'll sing a song, and then you know people do solos, you know. And so he'd call out for people to do solos, and then he called out for me, and he goes, "Hey, chemo!" And it's like, what? <laughs> but chemo is is basically anybody who's named Jim or James in Hawaii, they call you chemo because you know in Hawaii they have different names for people because they don't have the same consonants. They, they don't have a J um, in the language. And and another thing is that every word in Hawaiian has to end like Japanese, end with a vowel. So they take the closest letter, and so K is closer to J, so they put that there, and then they put a vowel on the end. So anybody in Hawaii who's Jim or James, they call you Kimo. So it's not an unusual name. If you, if you were Robert, if you are Robert Lopaka, and um, you would be Keoni, hmm. K-E-O-N-I, Keoni. But um, so it's, uh, it's, it's common, you know. So uh, what happened was basically uh, all my friends in Hawaii – and in the Hawaiian world, the Hawaiian music business would call me chemo. And, of course, other people call me Jim. So I just started using Jim and chemo. <laughs> <laughs> 
cover well, two bit of bases. <laughs> well, just to, you know, because I'm sure there's people going to say, "Oh, are you like Lone Ranger or something like Kimo Sabi?" I'm sure that's. <laughs> I'm sure you've had that happen to you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a different thing. No, yeah. but the Kimo is, is definitely a Hawaiian uh, name, and um, and oftentimes when I'm playing, you know, if I'm playing shows in Hawaii, they just they don't even use the gym; they just list me as Kimo West. Mm. Now you uh, you've recorded 14 solo albums. That's that's a lot of stuff. And you've only yeah. recorded 13 with Al, which is kind of funny. Yeah, that's right. About the same number. You know, I've got 11 CDs, um, you know, on my own label. I've got one that was a commission that I did that was um, out there for a while, but I never released it personally. And then I did two two other records for CMH that were like these Hawaiian tribute records. One was a Hawaiian tribute to the Eagles, and one one was to Sublime, like Hawaiian versions of Sublime. So, really? That's strange. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, they're actually really good records. You just look them up sometime. Yeah, uh, I'll check them out. find them on YouTube. Just a Hawaiian tribute to Sublime and, and Hawaiian tribute to the Eagles. And, um, you know, those are on another label, but, but you know, I, lo- I see 11 in those three. I guess that makes like 14. Yeah. Mm. Well, like, like I said... Records. Being a guitar player myself, I mean, I totally appreciate what you do, and I, I, I think what you do is really interesting. It shows a great talent because, I mean, it you get a sound of... When I hear your music, it sounds like there's more than one guitar playing, and it sounds it sounds more complicated than... If I saw you playing, I'd look at you and be like, wow, that sounds like it's an orchestra. Because you get this big sound out of the, the way you're doing it. Well, yeah, that's one thing about Slack Key is that it's, you know... Um or a lot of finger style guitars that way you know where you, you know like even the chet atkins style and that kind of thing he's got they get uh, a couple of different parts going on at once you know <laughs> but um i appreciate that yeah now we're going to move to the the al part of the conversation um mm-hmm. how did you how did you wind up hooking up with al i mean most people when they hook up with a band you know it's the typical rock and roll garage band at the start with but you hooked up with al who does parody music he's a genius <laughs> at what he does he's totally a genius at what he does but it seems like a very odd kind of direction yeah. to go into when you're... It seems like you got into it fairly young, too. Yeah, well, I had come to L.A. Uh, around 1980 or so, and, you know, I was playing in all kinds of bands, you know, just trying to survive. A lot of the bands were like these original bands where you'd play in clubs, and it'd be like three bands a night, and you'd make like 25 bucks, you know. And, um, uh, in Florida, I had uh, Steve J., who's, who's Al's bass player, who has been for all these years as well, um, he and I actually played in bands together in Florida, and um, he he came out to L.A. Um, I think originally to audition for Frank Zappa. Frank Frank had come into a club that we were playing in in Florida, and and uh, liked the band and took our names and stuff. Uh, Al met uh, I mean Steve met Al first, and he just, somehow he answered an ad about um, uh, somebody needing a bass player for a recording, and um, he got the job to do that. And he called me up one day and said, "Hey, I'm you know this guy Al is needs a guitar player because they're going to do some shows." And and um, so I I said you know like I said at that time I was playing with all kinds of bands, and I was like, "Well, has he got any gigs?" And he said, <laughs> "Yeah, he's got some gigs." And I said, "Okay, I'll you know." So I actually went and auditioned. You know, they gave me some couple of things to learn, and and uh, I went to audition and played, and um, you know, and actually as I was listening to the songs, I realized that you know all these you know the lyrics are quite well crafted. You know, they're pretty well pretty well done. And um, so anyway, you know, 
it wasn't a big deal. But then, you know, a week later, I got a call from Al saying, okay, well, you know, you're the guy, you know, you're the guy we want. And so we ended up doing some uh, rehearsals and, and a few local shows. And, and then after that, we recorded the uh, In 3D album um, with Rick Derringer producing. And, uh, you know, and then that really blew up in MTV. He already had some airtime on mtv from the first two album but then in 3d album really blew up and all of a sudden we were doing we had done a couple of small tours and then uh, after when the you know uh, eat it and that that whole era on mtv that when that happened then we actually started going on some real tours and, and it's kind of went on from there <laughs> now did you find it i mean what was your first reaction to hearing the music were you because like i said it's you go most people go they play in a band they expect to play cover songs or write their own music and record their own like artistic vision and stuff but you go and you're you're auditioned for a band with a guy that has you know glasses a curly afro and plays accordion and plays you know <laughs> lampoons of of popular hits i mean that must have been something that was kind of been like what am i what am i doing i know it it, it did sort of feel like that oh, some guy with an accordion and but you know like i say at the time i was like when i you know when i heard about it i, I thought oh well you know it's it's a gig you know we're everybody's really hustling for gigs but then like i said once i started learning his tunes it was like you know and of course after meeting al i mean he's such a nice guy he is he actually is and and and, we, and and the band was uh it was we sounded good you know we were rehearsing and it was uh myself steve and um john bermuda shorts and we you know we had we had a good uh good sound and, and it was pretty rocking and we all sort of you know were on the same page musically we had a lot of similar likes and um think we uh you know and i had a lot of experience learning covers you know as far as the parodies go i had plenty of experience doing that in bands and uh we all just hit it off and and like i said you know once i started learning out songs i realized how good they were and how oh, yeah, well they're, crafted they're brilliant they i mean that's the whole and his originals as well and they were just really well done and um you know it was it was a little rough at first because you know it was hard to get accepted you know as a, you know it's like somebody out there finding a band playing accordion it was not you know <laughs> not the most popular thing in the world in those days <laughs> no it was like i said when you the first time i heard it i was like what is this and i mean i i love al's stuff and i i've seen the show a few times i've met al i've talked to al and he's he is he's a genuinely nice person he's actually and he's surprisingly normal i mean he's yeah. not he's not this crazy guy you talk you talk to you talk to him and he's just so normal and so polite and so nice. You're just like, is this the guy that's doing all this weird stuff? It's just, it's really, it throws you because you really expect to you sure. talk to people and you expect something really bizarre, but he's, he's completely normal and yeah. completely a genuinely nice person. And it's just, it's funny. So mm -hmm. you've been with yeah. him almost 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, since early 80s, so about 40 years. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a, that's a long time. And, you know, you've seen... A, now, have you besides playing on a thing? Do you are you um, do you work on the the writing of the music with him, or is that something he does as, on his own? Um, Al pretty much writes everything himself. Um, we, um, you know, on the on the original tunes, we oftentimes kind of come up with our own parts you know based on the style he's going for um you know so i'll contribute to you know some kind of unique guitar bits and things um, um and then on on um some of the tracks including well 
parodies and uh, if there's a lot of kind of uh, sort of electronic MIDI kind of orchestration I'll, I'll do a lot of that on the records um, I've just had a lot of experience doing that with uh, you know because I used to write a lot of music for film and TV and things like that and I'm pretty experienced at sequencing as they call it or MIDI uh, virtual instruments and you know coming up with with uh, tracks and parts so a lot of times I'll do a lot of uh, keyboard parts and I'll do them here at my studio and then bring them over to the session. Now, how did you get involved in the TV stuff, in the movies? Well, um, yeah, at a certain point, uh, I've always I've always liked instrumental music, and I've always written instrumental music. And I, back in the late ni- uh, late 80s, I got um, very interested. You know, th- I just sort of thought that I would like, you know, I've always loved movie scores and listening to the music in film and TV because there's, you know, there's some, some great music in film mm. and TV. I got into it uh, as far as, you know, sort of, um, it was an aspiration. I was thinking, you know, I might like to do that as a career. And then a few things fell on my lap. I, I knew somebody in, in L.A. who had a post-production studio where they would do audio post-production for film. And they asked me, um, they told me that uh, there was this opportunity that came up that I could do a demo for. Um, it wasn't a composing for a film, but it was actually re rescoring some old films for the Fox 20th Century Fox Library. They were going to release them um, other countries, and with China being the first one, um, the Chinese government had settled on like 12 or 13 films, and these were classic films from the 50s and maybe even late 40s. I don't know, classic films um, with main famous composers. And so basically, what the the problem was that uh, when you know, since they were going to redub them into a different language, then the music and the sound effects behind the dialogue would have to be recreated mm-hmm. um, not not entirely because but they on some of the films they they did have the original music and sound effects tapes they would find them and dig them up somewhere but in a lot of the films they just it was missing they didn't have it anymore you know so whenever anybody spoke the music would, and, and sound effects would have to be redone so what i did is for my demo was i learned the score note for note by ear and played it I had a very simple sampling keyboard with a, a orchestral library, and I played all the parts. This is all on tape on on uh, audio, on you know sixteen track machine. So I played all the parts and uh, and until it sounded exactly like the like the score. And that way, when you know, then it would just sort of the real score would cross fade into mine when anybody spoke. Anyway, they loved the demo, and I got the job. And so I, I was busy for like a year and a half recreating these classic movie scores hmm. by ear. Uh, it was very tedious work. I don't know if that I would ever do it again, but it was. Um, but it was also like kind of like going to film music school and getting paid for it because I was studying, you know, scores by, you know, Bernard Herrmann and Alfred Newman and the classic people that work for them in, on the Fox contract composers, you know, the, the big, big name people. And uh, so I, I was, you know, by learning these note for note, you're studying the orchestration and figuring out how, how they parts fit together and all that stuff. So it was a learning experience and I got paid for doing it. And then it got me a lot of street cred too, because I, it turned out, you know, I ended up doing some other feature films because of that. I did some other work for Al's record label at the time, Scotty Brothers. Uh, I recreated the Rocky theme for, for a record. Yeah. <laughs> the credit I I'm credited as the Rocky Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you I, read music? Uh, I, do you read music or do you play by ear? Um, well, I learn by ear. Um, I play by ear, but I also taught myself how to read many years ago as well. Just, um, you know, I'm not a great reader, but I, you know, I can read and I can get parts on paper. And you know, like when I have musicians coming over to play like a cellist or a violinist or something, I, on my own pieces, when I have the music, you know, written 
parts written, I'd put them on, you know, they're on paper so they could get it done quickly. You know, I'm not as, uh, you know, Frank Zappa was, was self-taught as, as, as well. I and mean, he was a great, you know, he had a great communication skill with written music and I'm not at that level but, but I get a job I, I can do it you know well enough to communicate with other people and, and that's what's important is because it's a it's a real valuable way of communicating mm. it makes things makes life much easier when you can do it that way yeah I mean if you have parts written out like I could I could have somebody in fact that tomorrow I've got a session with an acoustic bass player and you know we're gonna we'll probably get six or seven songs done in one session because it's all there you know so um, there's no you don't have to really worry about <laughs> so let's swing back to the owl thing you're going off on the unfortunate return of the ridiculously self-indulgent vanity tour mm -hmm. and this is now i didn't notice this at first i just noticed a notation on the website of the venue that this is going to be a different kind of weird owl show right he's going to be playing his own music yeah you know we did this in 2018 it's um that's why it's the return of um, the uh, return a bit, but um, it's essentially a stripped-down tour where we play all of Al's, we play Al's originals, which are great tunes. Where um, and we're not doing any, you know, costumes or video or anything. It's just basically the band playing the songs, and um, uh, it's a great show. And you know, we'll be playing smaller venues than we would if we were doing, the, you know, the the regular tour. But it's a lot of fun, and um, every night. The set will be different because um, we we have a basically pool of 50 or 60 songs that we can shuffle around and create a different set every night and um, the encore will be different every night uh, so it's um, an entertaining show just different than your normal if you you know don't go expecting to to hear fat or uh, saga begins or anything like that you know we'll just be doing Al's Al's originals and and some other surprises some things that. Uh, people won't be expecting so there'll be some definitely be some surprises <laughs> now, yeah i that was the thing is that um i've seen the show and i'm i i honestly tell you mean this when i say this the the weirder al shows i've been to well the ones i haven't seen the original show yet but the ones that he's covered his you know his typical repertoire of the of the lampoon mm -hmm. songs those have are some of the best shows i've ever seen in my life and i've been to hundreds and hundreds of shows and they are the oh, wow. most entertaining shows I've ever seen because that the band that Al has and, and Al's talent in itself, you guys effortly will move from one genre to the next without even like batting an eye. You can play every different style of music. You got that shows the proficiency <laughs> of that band and how good that band is to be able to do that. You go from Nirvana to Don McLean to uh yeah. <laughs> lord you know i mean it's just it's it's mind-boggling that you can swing like that in, into the different styles yeah it's it's fun i mean i uh i'm a bit of a musical chameleon i i know i might when i wrote a lot of music for tv and film and stuff you know it's every job would be different i mean sometimes it'd be orchestral sometimes it'd be like you know death metal and <laughs> Sometimes it would be folk music, and you know, you're moving from genre to genre in that as well. Yeah, it's fun. I I, I enjoy the the challenge. So it's good. Have you co-written any of Al's so, uh, of any of Al's original songs, or is that something Not he does really, alone as uh, well? No, no, he's um, you know, he's he pretty much writes writes his own tunes. I I did contribute an idea once to to a song, but you know, uh, it's you know, he pretty much knows what he wants and has it all. Uh, 
sorted out and um like i say on the originals we we will sort of come up with our own parts although he's you know he'll he'll guide us through it if it's not exactly what he wants but he will uh, um you know we do have some freedom on the originals to sort of get some of our parts and make them our own you know as we'd say now this tour is crazy i, I counted the dates you're you're going out from you're going out next month at the beginning of the month, and you're not ending until October, and you have over 125 dates. Actually, it's more like six months. Well, as I think the last date is October 29th, but uh, it's going to be April 26th to October 29th. So April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So it's six months, actually. Yeah, six months, and I think it's 133 shows. Is it? It's it's a lot of dates. I was just looking at it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm tired just reading yeah. it. <laughs> I, I've never heard of a tour that long. But no, that's great, though, that you're out for that long. And you, you're all over the place. I mean, you're really crisscrossing. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty typical in tours, you know, because it's like a, it's a jigsaw puzzle. They got to, you know, when they book them, it's, there's so many variables. It's amazing that they can have any kind of routing at all because mm. it's, uh, it's, you know, different promoters and venues and all the different, you know, things that fit into booking a tour. I, I can't even comprehend it myself. But maybe they've got some artificial intelligence now that, that helps you do it <laughs> i hope not i I'm not a fan of artificial intelligence i've watched too many terminator movies <laughs> yeah i know there's this weird owl movie coming out with uh daniel radcliffe is there a part of you in that movie or is or did you have any involvement in that film? Um, I don't really have much involvement. We did record some music for it in the studio a while back, but um, but I am uh, portrayed. The band is portrayed by actors, and there's a guy. I think his name is Jack Lancaster, who is playing me. Um, and uh, but you know, I don't know much about it other other than that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But uh, yeah, but, I just uh, didn't know if there was a cat. Like yeah, I didn't know if somebody was going to be playing you, if you would be playing you in the movie or what. You no, had, no, but. I'm not. I'm not in it. Uh, I'm not in it at all. But um, but yeah, there is somebody playing me. It's playing every. There's somebody playing each of the band members. So oh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, I'm looking forward to seeing that. It looks interesting. Now yeah. I, I just watched a, a, a documentary about the Sparks, and I saw Al in that. Did you Did you have anything? in that as well or do you have any no um but i i remember i used to see them play in la back in the 80s uh, they were a great band I, I saw them playing like little clubs you know Mm. Uh, and Al, I know Al's always been a big fan of Sparks. Yeah, I, I watched that documentary. I was actually very impressed by the band. They, yeah, just, they just didn't give up. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I've been wanting to see that. It's on my list. It's really good. I was, imp- I was really impressed by their their determination to keep at it, and the fact that they're still at it, and they're in their seventies. So. I think yeah, I think they're coming out with another record. Or yeah, something, I think. yeah, that's, that's amazing. Crazy, yeah, yeah. They're, they're it was a very talented band, and uh, I was lucky to see them a couple times at uh, I think it was Madame Wong's West in Santa Monica, West LA. I, I saw that Emo Phillips is going to be your opener. Is he the opener for the entire tour? Yeah, he was the opener on the on the 2018 tour. That was similar tour. Yeah, so uh, you know, I'll be on a bus with Emo Phillips for six months. <laughs> I used to see him a lot in the 80s floating around, but then I hadn't seen or heard of him quite a while. What's he been up to? I don't really know. I'm not really sure what, he, what he's been up to. Um, what does he do for, but, for the opener? Is it comedy or is it music? I know he... I don't know about that, but um, I, he does stand-up comedy, and he's uh, he's extremely funny, and he's a very interesting person, very smart and fun to talk to, and, you know, he's, he's emo, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> 
I've known him for a long time. I actually played a gig with Emo once. We uh, this was probably about ten years ago. He had, um, you know, I had put out a couple of holiday Christmas slack key CDs, which have done, you know, been very done very well over the years. And and I would always send him a CD when I put out a new one. I'd send him a copy because he was. A, a big fan of, of my music and and he called me one day and said hey i'm doing a holiday comedy show and do you want to back me up and play some of that play some of your holiday music on the, on the slack key so i did a gig with emo once backing him up yeah i, I remember he he's definitely has a, his own brand of humor it's very it's um it's kind of i can't even remember it was kind of uh he just he kind of seemed mopey in that, that it it's like this depressed mopey style or something that yeah 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 <laughs> that's what i remember um uh, yeah no he's 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 a very funny guy yeah he's gonna more. be doing a, a you know probably a 20 minute stand-up set and uh, you know him and al have been friends for a long time because you know of course he was in the movie uhf right and um you know i'm sure he's they've been friends since since then or or, or before so they're longtime friends and um it makes sense and and emo's you know, a lot of the fans know Emo from UHF, and it just totally it makes sense for him to be in be the opener. And one of the things I noticed that Al was in was the My Sweet Lord George Harrison video. Did you? Oh, yeah. Did you pop into that at all? I didn't see you, but I no, saw Al. No. Yeah, there was a you know uh, a George Harrison tribute show here in LA a number of years ago, and I know Al was. He did a, a spot in that show. It was like a maybe it was a, a charity benefit thing or something like that. But anyway, Al was Al did a uh, George Harrison song. I remember seeing that on on YouTube, but I was not at that or didn't have any involvement with it. Okay, I probably should let you go. We've chatted for a while. Anything else you want to add about the the, the show that's coming up and about your music before we wrap? I mean, you can throw in anything um, you'd like. Well, you know, um, I've just been staying super busy here. I have a, a couple of collaboration albums coming out. Um, one is with uh, Hawaiian singer Leo Kani Pryor, who's a fantastic Hawaiian falsetto singer. We just finished an album, and that'll be coming out at the end of um, this uh, end of April. Um, it's called Lani Huli. L a n i h u l i, really sweet, beautiful, and, and, and you know the word nahi nahi just def- definitely describes it. So it's basically me playing the instruments mostly, and Leo Connie's doing the vocals, and there's some other instruments like a cellist is on there and a couple tunes. And then I have another collaboration record with Joss Jaffe, who's a uh, multi-instrumentalist. He's a, a Billboard number one artist, um, and this is a, a instrumental record. It'll be coming out in the middle of May. It's instrumental record called Aum, A-U-M, Akua, A-K-U-A. That's um, coming out. We've already released a few singles from it, but the album's coming out in May, and it's a really beautiful album uh, that we started with a lot of... It began as improvisation, and then it turned into uh, songs and a whole album, and it's quite beautiful. It's a, He plays um, African Ngoni, which is like an African harp, like a kora, mm-hmm. and he plays tablas, um, great tabo player. He plays bonsoir flute number of instruments and i play all kinds of guitar stuff um it's a very beautiful record and that's uh, coming out i think may 25th um so a couple releases on the horizon if you know if people can um if they want to stay up to date on what i'm doing you can they can uh people folks can, um sign up on my website i have a monthly newsletter and what's your so website that, again uh, it's just uh, jimkimowest.com, J-I-M-K-I-M-O-W-E-S-T.com. And you can sign up for my uh, newsletter, and then every month I send out all my show schedule and CD releases and all, all the information I send out every month. Now, will you so, happen to have your CDs at the, the Weird Al show? Does he let you sell them, or is it? Uh, I'm going to have one one title there. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure which one yet, but I'm going to have um, maybe more guitar stories, the one that won the Grammy. I'll probably have that one there. 
So you're actually you've you've been contributed to you know Al's won Grammys as well. So you're you're a Grammy guy. <laughs> well, you're not you're not really a Grammy winner officially unless you have the statuette on your on your mantle, you know. But I have contributed to a lot of to Grammy records, yeah, and Al's and quite a few of Al's and. I mean, I've been on all of Al's records, so I've got my own. I've got I'm a Grammy winner, but um, but I mean, I'm not a Grammy winner as far as Al's records go. I'm just you know, you I think you you know sometimes you get a certificate saying you played on a Grammy record, <laughs> but uh, but I but I I do I do actually have the Grammy statues, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I was I was quite impressed that you won the Grammy, and I was happy for you because I was like, wow, that's very cool. It's like. <laughs> The strangest, it's like, you know, Al's won a Grammy and then his guitar player won a Grammy too. And it's like that just, it it really, it shows you the talent that's in that band. That's that's what people don't get is the talent that is in that band. Well, we, um, uh, I actually was nominated three years ago for Moku Maluhia, a different record. I didn't win that year, but, but Al was nominated as well uh, for, in the packaging for his uh his package you know the the box set package that Mm -hmm. he came out with and so we went to all the we were together at a lot of the pre-grammy stuff you know the award uh brunches and the dinners and the you know banquets and they have all kinds of parties and stuff so so it was kind of cool both being with al at the uh you know the nomination seller you know nominees reception or things like that (laughs) well yeah it's it's a cool thing you've got quite the musical career going and i'm very envious of it because you have you have a lot of fun you travel you play some great great music and you're recognized for it which is is a very good thing and i, I appreciate well, your music uh, uh, all around what you do and well, i think thank you I'm, i think more people should be aware of the fact that you are an amazing guitarist and you're not just a background player in al's band you are a, an amazing guitarist in your own right and that people should take note of it when they see him and if they're a fan, even if they're not a fan, they should just take note of your, your playing because it is amazing. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I, I'm thankful every day that I've been able to you know, make a living playing music and just doing something I enjoy because I know not everybody gets to do that. So I'm, I'm very lucky. <laughs> All right. Well, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. Maybe I'll maybe I'll see you at the uh, the Zyterian in, uh, next month. I'll try to, you know. I hope so. To, yeah, I'd like to say hi again because it was interesting talking to you last time and it's inter- interesting talking to you every time I have the chance. So hopefully right, I get well, to I appreciate see you. It, John. Look forward to the, uh, the show and um, I'll All talk right. to you again soon. Thank you. Okay. Aloha. Okie dokie. Thanks to Jim Kimo West for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Jim will be at the Zyterian in New Bedford with Weird Al Yankovic on April 29th at 8 p.m. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Grace Ale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 